I'm Anya. And I'm Scarlett. Come inside the Flaming Yoni. And experience pussy power as you never have before. Welcome back to the universe. Hi, loves. Welcome back, Anya. How are Uh, you? I'm so good now that I get to see your face. Yes, and I am riding high from our moan chat that we had yesterday. It was just so livening to me. We did a live pussy gazing moan chat, and it was incredible how affirming it was. I just carried that energy with me through the day. It was so wonderful. I definitely had a hard time falling asleep last night uh, because I was feeling so good too. And it was what I, what I really loved about it was that the community that showed up for it was really there. They stuck with us through the whole thing. They loved it. I think the feedback that we got was wonderful and it was so great to just be able to bring that type of new practice to our community. And so it was It was fantastic. Thank you for doing it. You did a beautiful, beautiful job. Oh, the pleasure was all mine. Like I always say, when you gaze at the pussy, the pussy gazes back at you. And that was fun (laughs) to experience in a communal setting because my practice is, you know, usually just just me, myself and I. Now, I am so excited about Mm. the guest that we have in the Yoniverse today. Um, I reached out to her and she got right back to me. And I was just, it was fingers crossed (laughs) that she would (laughs) want to come on the show. So I'm just thrilled that we're here with her now. I know this has come together so quickly. It was so exciting that we got to have just a pre-interview a few days ago. And now here we are today. We want to introduce the Yoniverse to this phenomenal woman. Um, her name is Lee David Elliott Cray, PhD, by the way. So incredibly educated, very smart, has millions of books behind her as we stare at her beautiful <laughs> face on, on our platform. Sorry, you all don't get to be a part of uh, face gazing with us. Um, Lee David Elliott Cray is an author board-certified sexologist, and LGBTQIA+, and BDSM educator, coach, and consultant. She is the founder of Transcentience Coaching, a podcaster on the Moan app, and an LGBTQIA+, curriculum coordinator for the Sexual Health Alliance. She is currently based out of Las Cruces, New Mexico, where she watches a lot of horror movies with her cats, and we welcome her to the universe. Lee, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This is wonderful. <laughs> uh, if I if I didn't know better, I might think you were blushing a little bit, Lee. A little bit. I like hearing about myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, good. You're in the right place then because yeah. I, I first encountered you on the Moan app and mm-hmm. I was driving and the topic of your chat was so fascinating to me. I was like, I don't care that I'm driving. I'm going to be a little dangerous because I have to listen to this. And I was just immediately captivated and drawn into your presence, the content of the chat, which I believe was on Buddhist, Zen Buddhist principles in BDSM. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, yes. For me. And Mm -hmm. I just immediately was drawn in and wanted to know more about your becoming and more about about what brought you to a place where you could so eloquently talk about these things. So tell us more about about you, Lee. Tell us about how you became. Absolutely. Oh, where to start? Um, there's a, this can be a very long story or a very short one. I'll give you the, the somewhat self-indulgent teaser trailer version. 
So I was born in Long Island, New York, and then I spent some time as a child before going to graduate school to get my PhD in philosophy. I had a very odd childhood. I grew up adjacent to the Amish. I had a pet donkey. I used to ride my donkey. Um, I was a very strange kid. Um, you did not. I grew yeah. up adjacent. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Really? We're hey. going to have to talk about this. All right. Sorry. I'll Absolutely. shut up now. No, you're good. <laughs> so I went to grad school uh, kind of thinking I was a straight boy and started to, you know, continued my education in philosophy, which was my undergraduate major, and was getting my PhD and started hearing about gender theory stuff and started learning more about non-binary experiences and transgender experiences. And immediately I was like, oh, that's me. Mm. But I wasn't in a position to really open up about that yet to anyone, really including myself. And I was more like, yeah, that sounds like me, but I'm just another, I'm another cishet white guy. I don't want to appropriate queer spaces. So I talked mm -hmm. myself out of it for a, a long time and got my PhD, spent some time living in a punk house, uh, moved around a bit, taught at a couple universities where I eventually ended up in Texas, where I was teaching at, believe it or not, Texas Christian University. <laughs> mm-hmm. Love it. And that's where, after a series of events, I really couldn't deny that I was uh, who I am. That's when my my identity as a as a trans woman ish person just kind of became very clear to me, and clear to clear to me in a way that I couldn't really repress anymore. Hmm. So I came out while teaching at Texas Christian University. I'm in fact the first out trans woman to uh, receive tenure there. Wow. And then I promptly uh, quit. <laughs> Got the fuck out of there. <laughs> yeah, because uh, the way they handled COVID was, um, to put it in one way, not to my liking. Mm. So I had to see myself out. And a lot of my friends, you know, at the time, they'd hear me say things, yeah, I want to become a sex educator. I want to I want to become a dominatrix and I want to work with queer people and I think a lot of them thought I was joking about at least one of those three. Um, it turned out I was pretty serious about all of them because that's what I'm doing now. Yeah. So that's a that's a little bit of my background with a with a whole lot of holes we can fill in if we want to. Oh, wow. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> what a story and it's not a story it's your life mm -hmm. and I just commend you for really having the ability to like get into your own heart space and know that you had to be who you were and in such an environment that you were I mean you really trailblazed a lot um, of, of your path it sounds like yeah thank you it was it was difficult coming out in Texas, where, where I was. Um, I mean, there was a queer population there, and there was a very healthy kink scene, which was actually sort of integral to me being able to step into myself, because the spaces there were, um, at the time, very queer affirming. Yeah. It was an adjustment going to campus, dressed in a manner that actually affirmed my gender. So, you know, when I first came out, we were under lockdown. And that actually made it a whole lot easier 
And a lot of my colleagues were like, oh, I can't wait to be back in the classroom. And I'm like, no, I want to stay on Zoom forever so that I can wear my dresses and my skirts without having to worry about frat bros as I walk back to my car at night from my office. Yeah. 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 But eventually Texas got to be a bit scary for me because Texas is a scary place for trans people. So I moved sight unseen out to Las Cruces, New Mexico. So I'm now in my sleepy desert town era of my life. I love that phrase. And I also am thinking about how far you have come in such a short period of time. Lockdown wasn't very long ago, Lee. Mm -mm, mm -mm. A lot of it, a lot of it had been pent up for a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. The first time I tried coming out to someone, it was 2014. 2013, we were uh, drunk in a bar and I was starting to ask some questions and it was my way of gently coming out. It it, it didn't go that great. So I kind of went way back in and I was like, yeah, this is not for me to pursue. And it wasn't until, it was around 2019 when I was doing my yoga teacher training actually and I cut out my drinking and that clarity of mind along with the the intense embodiment and exploration of the yoga training, it just, it made it, it shined a spotlight on on who I am in a way that I couldn't deny anymore and also just didn't want to deny anymore. Something that Anya and I speak about a lot on this show is you know, coming into our body through all kinds of practices, be they kink practices, sexual practices, yoga, tantra, all these different practices, right, reveal so much of our personal truth. And what Mm -hmm. was really standing out to me as I listened to you, because I think that this is such a human tendency to have these points in life where you realize a truth about yourself and we just shove it down. No, that can't be it. And we we keep along the conditioned path. And then it, it, it again, because it's our truth, it comes to us again. And then it's the same process. And, and when you see somebody going through that now, either like maybe yeah. one of your coaching clients, what, mm-hmm. what can you give them from being on the other side? What wisdom or guidance do you typically mm-hmm. offer? Yeah. So permission yeah permission is huge because a lot of what holds people back when it comes to uh, sort of internalized shame regarding gender variance or gender nonconformity or some kind of non-normative sexual practice so much of that comes from this these social factors that tell us no there is a very particular way you have to live You have to check these boxes in this order. You have to be this kind of person or that kind of person. And when we deviate from that, we feel like we're, we're doing something wrong. Yeah. So giving people permission to explore. One way that I I really try to hold a container for that exploration is by showing up 100% as me, you know, and I feel like leading by example in that way. Show, one way to create an authentic space is for the space holder to show up, show up authentically. 
Um, if the space holder is not being authentic, the space will not be authentic. It'll pollute the whole thing. And I have my off days, of course. Uh, but when I can, I, I love to show up. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, I do a coaching practice, which is very different from a therapy practice. Mm-hmm. And therapists typically tend to shy away from self-disclosure. I'm pretty open with self-disclosure in my coaching sessions because I see working with a client, I see them as sort of, um, it's not a healing relationship as much as it is a a collaborative right. relationship. I see myself as an expertly informed collaborative advocate. Mm. So we have more of that horizontal relationship where I open up a little bit more about me, which gives them permission to open up a little bit more about them, maybe in ways they hadn't anticipated before. That That's is so, so beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thank I, you. Do you see? Do you see why when <laughs> I heard Lee's voice, I was just completely captivated? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you just and I'd like to ask you talked a little bit about not wanting to go back to campus. Um, yeah. You know, something that that we believe on this show is like all of us have masculine and feminine forces mm-hmm. within us, um, and. I'm just really like interested in how your feminine expresses. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's so beautiful and unique for every person. So I'd love to hear more about that. Absolutely. Um, I think a lot about this and I think, a, I think about it often enough that I have no fucking clue yeah. um, <laughs> because I, I talk my, talk myself out of so many answers. Mm-hmm. You know, because sometimes I'm convinced that the very concept of the masculine and the feminine are just colonial constructs that are used to steer people to different poles. And hmm. but other times I'm like, no, these are deep spiritual truths. And I'm kind of I, I oscillate. I can say for me, um, masculinity to start with that one. That was what I was expected to embody my whole life, and I kind of mm-hmm. walked around cosplaying this awkward boy. Um, and to me, that always felt put on. That always felt like a performance. And it, it always felt, um, you know, I've used this metaphor elsewhere. Um, it's like I had my shoes on my wrong feet. Mm. But then I gave myself permission to explore the feminine. And that was like taking the shoes off and putting them on the right feet and also shaking mm. all the shards of glass out of them too. Yeah. Uh, For me, it's interesting because one of the first lessons when I started transitioning was like, wow, being a girl is expensive. Cause suddenly I had to buy all these products and invest time and things. And so much of masculinity, the way that I experienced it was um, it's performed by what you don't do. Mm. Right. Cause when you think about masculine presentation, it's like no makeup. You're not, if you invest too much in yourself, that starts to be seen as a feminine trait. Mm. But I like that investing in myself. I like to look pretty. I like to look adorned. I like Mm -hmm. to look flowy. Not to say that everyone's experience of femininity has those traits, but mine does. Mm -hmm. So even though I have to perform a bit more to like embody femininity, it feels like less of an actual performance than when I used to like walk around in that awkward voice. I am 
I'm just sitting here in awe of the way you're able to express this because I've been on a journey of trying to understand my own inner masculine for the last year or so and try to figure out how that part of me shows up or does not show up in different spaces. And so I, (laughs) I remember I was, I was at this shamanic training and I was trying to like literally feel what it would be like. I was, I was trying to embody being Mm -hmm. masculine and like having a real cock and like understanding like how would I move how would I how would I operate what would I think how would I you know would I would I be meek and mild or would I have a swagger or what would I look like what would I what would I embody and it was actually a really it was a really transcendental like exercise for me but how quickly I was able to kind of get out of that space and get back into my feminine where I feel like my shoes fit just right, you know, yeah. and the way mm-hmm. that you described that was so amazing. Cause it, I, I totally remember having the experience of being able to get, get my right fitting shoes back on and yeah. being a little bit um, afraid to kind of get back into that space to feel what it would mm. be like. Mm-hmm. And we had some interesting dialogue, or at least I know I did this past week because last week we put out an episode called Pussy Passion. And as mm-hmm. we stated at the beginning, um, we were having a moan chat last night about pussy gazing and wanting to know a little bit more deeply how to have those conversations in a way that includes our trans sisters so that we are having it in a way that brings them in rather than help making them feel excluded yeah and not it's not your responsibility to educate me or us or our listeners but we are we welcome it and would love your particular perspective on how we can have more of these conversations in ways that are that are more table extending rather Mm -hmm. than limiting and absolutely yeah yeah I'm happy to talk about that and fully recognize that I'm not obligated to but I opt into it I (laughs) I love talking about this stuff um I'm an educator at heart so Mm. I think you know a lot of people treat trans issues as linguistic issues they just want to make sure they get the pronouns right and they're thinking about that as a word choice issue but really it's about how we conceptualize the person. Mm. It's not about remembering to use she rather than he. It's about actually seeing the person as a woman. Right. And a thing that we want to remember with that is that once we start drawing lines about who's a woman and who's not, we start policing womanhood. Mm-hmm. And that can very quickly lead to some very scary possibilities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So some women are tall, some women are short, some women are bald, some women grow facial hair, some women have ovaries, some women have testicles. And I happen to be one of those women with testicles. Um, I won't call myself a uh, pre-op trans woman. Sometimes people make that distinction between a pre-op and a post-op trans woman or with a trans man. I prefer to avoid that language because it kind of prescribes mm-hmm. how transition should go. I'm not right. pre-op. I'm non-op. I have no mm-hmm. interest mm-hmm. in changing that. Um, yeah. I think, I mean, yes, I do have a penis, 
And a lot of people will equate penis with male, conceptually and in their words. You know, they'll use the word male as a stand-in for the word penis when they're not comfortable saying penis. Like when you're giving like a sex ed class, and they'll say, well, when you take the male in your hand, <laughs> like, well, no, just say penis, right? <laughs> or they'll often say the male penis. It's like, well, just say penis. We can, if we can separate gender from genitals, right. right? And just talk about the genitals and the people who have them. That would be uh, that would be a fantastic step forward. We also want to acknowledge like the full range of genitals out there, because the the penis and the testicles, and then the clitoris and the ovaries and all these things they exist on a continuum, mm-hmm. you know, and there's a lot of middle ground. I experienced this a little bit myself since I started hormone therapy, which definitely has some anatomical impact. Mm. Uh, I had to rediscover how my body worked as I was going through hormone therapy because it it changes your genitals, mm-hmm. which is why sometimes when I'm feeling specific, particularly spicy, um, you know, I typically won't talk about my penis. Um, I'll talk about my my shriveled dick remnant. Because, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, who wouldn't love having a shriveled dick remnant? <laughs> I love that because what I'm thinking about is the correlation between that. And in our community, we have a lot of cuckolds who really love small penis humiliation, and they would yeah. really love to be hearing about their shriveled dicklet. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's kind of where I was going is that, like, yeah, and also not all men feel like they need to have a huge cock. Yeah, you know, we right. Have some beautiful men in our lives that we know who are like, no, I really love to have it not be the whole of who I am at the core of my manhood. You know, exactly. And everybody's expression is so varied and different. Mm-hmm. A lot of our way of thinking about gender really does inconsistently reduce it to genitals or sometimes reduces it to hormones or chromosomes. Uh, A lot of the sort of anti-transgender talk is very inconsistent in what it wants to reduce sex down to. (laughs) Um, But when we know, when we, when we look at it, it's so complicated. Right. Um, Like it's a lot more complicated than the, the biology we learn in fifth grade that gives us a very, very reductive and simplified version of human anatomy and the, the range of human experience. But, you know, really, at the end of the day, like, you know, if someone wants to insist that I'm a man because I have a penis, that's cool. As long as they're not going to take my rights away or the rights of my community away, I don't really care what they think. They can they can choose to believe that. They can choose to believe that the moon is made of cheese. They can be wrong in all sorts of ways. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And for me, really what it means is just uh, thinking of myself in the in the frame of being a trans woman it helps me interpret my past navigate my present project into the future and then make something meaningful out of all three and uh that's good enough for me that's beautiful Mm, thank you (laughs) so powerful 
I have a question for you, Lee. I read something on your website. I have it pulled up here. Uh-oh. And uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is not this is not a uh, a setup or anything. I let me see if I can find it here. You're you're talking about your coaching service, and yeah. you uh you wrote through queer affirming, sex positive, trauma informed coaching and consulting sessions. We can explore, and there's some bullet points. And the last bullet point reads. General existential malaise stemming from late stage capitalism and dominant cultures of shame. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's it right there. <laughs> like I can I can say that like so many of my issues in the past five to ten years have had to do with those two things, late stage capitalism. Yeah just the existential crisis of existing in that. And also, you know, just how deeply we seem to be as, as much as we take steps forward toward inclusivity, towards greater, you know, social justice, we seem to take two or three steps back and it's like, what is happening here? Where are we going? So can you talk about like, how does one even begin to do that work? You're obviously, you know, you have a PhD in philosophy, you're, you're extremely qualified, but in a nutshell, how do we get through yeah. the existential crisis? It's a really, really great question. And, you know, capitalism requires for its existence that we remain alienated from our bodies and from our communities. It's what keeps us sort of perpetually uh, unsatiated so that we'll continue to consume things that are made just for the sake of consumption. And in order to afford those consumables that are only there to be consumed, we have to go produce those consumables. This wears us down. A lot more people would explore their gender, their sexuality and all aspects of the self. If they weren't always so damn tired. But capitalism requires that we be tired because if we're well rested, then we can organize Mm. and then we can change things. Mm -hmm. So one of the the practices that I'm actively undertaking is trying to rest more, trying to play more. Play is so important. And I'm thinking of play here as doing something for its own sake, not for its outcome. Not for what it gets you, but doing it just for the sake of the activity itself. That is inherently anti-capitalist. Because in capitalism, everything we do has to be justified by what it produces. Mm -hmm. Even our naps have been co-opted in the sense that a lot of times we nap so that we can be rested to go back to work. Mm -hmm. No, nap to nap. When you play with your dog, play with your dog. You know, if you want to play video games, play video games. Do whatever for its own sake. Right? Not for the sake of productivity. And I think a lot of um, sensual practice, a lot of, say, BDSM, mm-hmm. right? or even vanilla sex, but I just never really like to talk about that. Um, <laughs> um, a lot, it's not about producing something. It's about a. It's about an experience that is temporary. Yeah. Um, and for me, engaging in that uh, authentically, fully presently, is a way of stepping outside of this compulsory productivity. Mm. 
Um, it's been theorized that this is one of the reasons that capitalism has such a problem with sex work. Because it's a way of siphoning money from the upper class, typically down into uh, folks who are a bit more below the poverty line. And it also doesn't come with a product. It comes with an experience, but a temporary experience. And of course, I'm putting aside porn workers and other folks who do make long lasting products here. Um, but yeah. We're both just sitting here <laughs> fangirling over you. And like, seriously, seriously. Like my synapses are just completely through the roof right now. Uh, did I tell you I, I have a praise kink? <laughs> did you Uh-oh. tell us you own a praise kink? Well, girl, <laughs> we've got. I'm taking off my robe, and people don't get me to take off my robes easily, Lee. So I'm just Ooh. telling you. Oh, hey. Um. Okay. So much to yeah. what you said that we want to dive into because I see as many questions on her face as on mine. But one of the things I want to bring back to is the tie between a lot of what you're talking about and Buddhist philosophies in terms of how, yeah. like. With, with regard to capitalism, you know, it, it definitely benefits from keeping us separate from ourselves and separate yeah. from others. And that's one of the biggest pieces that I think I heard you talk about in terms of that, that's, that's the thing that keeps us all moving forward. And, and I guess I would love to hear the way that you can describe for our listeners um, what what it means to be separate from yourself and separate, you know, from others and and seeing yourself because there is no greater pain than looking at yourself as somebody who's not connected and tethered to to connection. And so I would love to hear you talk about that a little bit because, well, first of all, I think I'll just, you know, kind of get into a little bit of a dreamy state, but also (laughs) I I think I could, I think it, it would really help organize my thoughts around it too. Yeah, so the relationship between Buddhism and the South is really interesting, right? Because I say capitalism leads to this alienation from the South. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that, in a nutshell, is that it it disrupts our ability to act on our values. It drives a wedge between what we want and what we want to want, if that makes sense. Interestingly, though, Buddhism, you know, the, the devout Buddhists would show up and be like, actually, there is no self to be alienated from. Because one of the founding doctrines that, that the Buddha taught is that, that the self is a construct the self is not fundamentally real. And when we buy too much into it, that's when we start to experience anxiety and the stressors of the world. It's kind of like, have you ever watched a TV show where you get really invested in the main character and then there's a cliffhanger and you're like really anxious about what's going to happen to the character. But then you remember the character isn't real. (laughs) They're not actually (laughs) in jeopardy. That's kind of the, the insight I see here. Mm. So a big part of the way that Buddhism can help us stop feeling alienated is by recognizing that that most of the world we live in is a construction, including the self, including this this protagonist that we've constructed who is the the thing that suffers. Hmm. Because when we think there's a thing that suffers, the suffering like sticks to it like a pin in a pin cushion. 
Mm-hmm. But if you just think there's some suffering, and then the suffering dissipates, and then there's some suffering, it becomes more transient, more ephemeral. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm holding up a book about suffering well, right? Like mm-hmm. this book, No Mud, No Lotus by Thich Nhat Hanh is, yeah. is about the art of understanding that you can transform what you perceive to be suffering into yeah. happiness or at least suffer well, meaning suffering without really allowing it to take you over and take you yeah. under. And mm-hmm. what you're, yeah, what you're talking about is super resonant. Yeah, I love that book. Thich Nhat Hanh was a fantastic teacher. It was devastating, um, you know, not that long ago when we lost him and Bell Hooks within a couple months of each other. Right, was, right. Oh, that was a that was a lot. That's a lot. I think it's it's important to note that the suffering that we're trying to escape in a Buddhist framework it's not your run of the mill like oh I stubbed my toe. Or, or um, you know, my partner broke up with me suffering. It's this deep existential suffering that, like, this feeling of absurdity. Like, right. what is the point of any of this? It's, it's sort of letting yourself have permission to breathe that out, which can be really, really hard. And we also don't want to confuse suffering with pain because I'm a Buddhist, but I also am a very 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 big sadomasochist so <laughs> i love that you brought it back because that's where we're going next and i know that Scott's yeah. got us on this one he's taking this to the bdsm now. oh oh my goodness well i mean i will say you know looking at you you have these really beautiful tattoos oh, um you. and i i recall that there is a connection with your tattoos to a kink expression that you have. So I wanted to ask you a little yeah. bit about that. So I, 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 so I'm asexual, mm-hmm. um, even though I'm very, very much a kinkster and really try to embody my sexuality my sexuality doesn't involve sexual attraction towards other persons. Um, so I've been effectively celibate for years, even if I've been very active in the kink community. I still have partners, though, and we engage in intentional and intimate energy exchange. And I had a partner, uh, not currently, this is a former partner, um, where our primary form of energy exchange was tattooing. It was a deeply, deeply connecting and intimate experience for us. Mm. And... As I was exploring more kinks, because I get bored really easy, so I always want to find out, like, what else could I explore? I was like, I want to explore tattooing, inkless tattooing, as a form of sadistic sensation play. So I got myself a tattoo machine, and now it's just kind of like, it's kind of like a version of what some people do in kink spaces, knife play, but with a tattoo needle instead. Right. And my first experience, because whenever, whenever I explore a new kink, I try it with just me first, doing solo play and things like that. So I've done a lot of solo inkless tattooing, which has uh, led me to some pretty fantastic experiences tattooing um, my tongue, my gums, under my toenails, um, mm. my urethra. Um, it's... Uh, <laughs> It turns some heads in dungeons, um, but it's a lot of fun. 
Wow. As mm-hmm. somebody who loves getting tattoos and hates getting hates tattoos, <laughs> I I get like sick. I'm in bed usually for two days after a bigger piece and I love it so much. I can't imagine not getting the ink. <laughs> That's Gosh. what I'm thinking about right now is like, yeah. I want the ink if I'm going to go through it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so fun because you can leave a little temporary design, but it's going to mm. fade. It's also really helpful if someone wants a tattoo in a particular spot, but they're not sure if they're going to be able to handle it. Mm. You can just give them a a couple little lines in that spot Mm -hmm. and then they have more of a sense of what it feels like. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I am. I'm also a pain slut. I just really enjoy pain. Um, I'm guessing. (laughs) Yeah. So I have, I have a lot of tattoos. I have a lot of piercings. I have a lot of tattoos and piercings in painful spots the most painful was my palms when I got my palms tattooed. That was truthfully the worst pain I've ever consented to in my life. Mm. I was giggling my head off the moment he put the needle down to the moment he lifted it up. Cause that's what I do when I'm in agony is I giggle. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I text Scarlett. it's gonna be okay babe just breathe through it you've got this um but i can i mean i i have had like a a i'll say a waveform of experience with masochism throughout my adult life uh Mm -hmm. there's been times where i have been heavily masochistic and as my body changes and I, I suppose like, you know, I, during COVID, like I, I, I think we talked about this. I didn't have opportunity to participate in impact play. And I was just disappointed to find that my enjoyment of it had changed um, yeah. and that I had to just really um, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm exploring new areas, like you said, to not to, get back the exact same sensation but to connect Mm -hmm. in with that same kind of space that comes from it you know that comes from that masochistic experience um -hmm. and so i i don't know exactly where that will lead me next you said knife play and i'm like ding 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 that probably that might be it because i'm I'm super fascinated with that so fun yeah yeah, I I just and I really hope that I can find somebody who's really experienced. But uh, yeah, this is yeah. I think that um, you know we've talked a little bit about kink, but what does does do? So you said you're a sadomasochist. So does that do you top as well? Yeah. So I I'm a switch. Okay. Um, I will top. I will bottom. I think there's only there are only about two people who I will top and bottom for Mm. with other folks. It tends to be just kind of a unidirectional thing. Like there's some people who I only top and with one of my partners, um, I only bottom Mm. and bottoming for them is a deeply, deeply powerful experience for me. They're the only person who I've ever actually been able to surrender to and submit to. So we play infrequently, but when we do, it's um, it's so good. I mean, can I tell you about one of my our favorite scenes that we've ever oh done? Oh my gosh! Please, please. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, We're both like, <laughs> so my I'm blindfolded, 
and I have to kneel on a Japanese kneeling board, which has like little wooden like points, if you will. So I'm on that for a while as they are tying me with coconut rope. And coconut rope is very, very abrasive. Yes. And I really like face rope. So it's coconut rope across my face, in my mouth, and they are not gentle as they're tying me. It's it's floor rope, so it's not a big fancy suspension, but it's very chaotic. And mm-hmm. once I'm bound, they break out the whip. And I'm bound and kneeling on this Japanese kneeling board, getting you know the impact of the whip until they come over and they break out the knife and the blowtorch and heat up the knife with the blowtorch right in my ear. And then we do some hot knife play. And yeah, um, that progression of events is, uh, whew, <laughs> it's so hot. <laughs> yeah. In so many ways. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and when you bring a blowtorch into a dungeon, it turns some heads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know i i really appreciate you sharing that i i could feel like the energetic rise in you as you were sharing oh, yeah. um yeah yeah i mean hard to flutter everything and i think yeah. that the i know there's there are some theories about kink that it does our nervous systems like such a service by allowing yes. us to con- yeah. in a controlled environment, right? Experience uncertainty and fear mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. heightened arousal just in general. Um, and which then puts, puts our nervous system at a reset with aftercare. Right. And just yeah. gives us this sense of uh, this dopaminergic calm and happy feeling um, mm-hmm. is, is that, is that kind of what you prescribe to when you think about, your own motivations for King? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I was reading a research study the other day and it was tentative data, but it was, it was really interesting um, that people who practice BDSM um, show higher rates of dispositional mindfulness, uh, which means that they're more likely to um, be able to adopt and take up mindfulness practices and drop into mindfulness practices, which is totally consonant with what you just said, right? Right. I, for me, BDSM can be sexy, it can be hot, it can be erotic or intimate, but for me, it's not sex. For me, it's a form of embodied gameplay. And Mm -hmm. I see it as an extension really of my yoga and my mindfulness practices. Mm -hmm. Um, So rather than seeing it grow out of my sex life, I see it growing out of my my meditation practice. And it's a way of of exploring, sometimes alone, because I do a lot of solo play, I explore, uh, explore a lot of what I call auto-sadomasochism, which mm. is exploring sadomasochism with the self. Mm. Um, so a lot of that, you know, with a, a lot of um, exploration of this form of embodiment with a partner for the sake of grounding, for the sake of reaching clarity, for the sake of practicing various sorts of things like impermanence um, mm. or non-judgment. Feeling, feeling a sensation not as, as bad, but feeling it just as intense, saying, mm. yeah. Mm. Mm. <sighs> my mind, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> all I know is that we need you back. Yes. Hell yeah. yeah. I was going to say, 
We could, I'm sure this conversation could go on for hours longer. I have so many questions that I didn't even get to, but I'm like, yeah, feeling beyond inspired by all that you've shared with us today. Like, thank you so much. Yes. And turned on. (laughs) And like all All of the things. things. Yeah. Well, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good girl. Uh. <laughs> wow lee i mean you've blown our mind you have cracked us open I, there's just so much here that i know we will definitely want to be having more of these conversations with you and just thank you thank you for showing up for your vulnerability for being here with us and really sharing i i'm still a little bit verklempt about how recent all of this is for you yet so you're you're so embodied like with your truth and with who you are and what all of you at the table represents and I I'm just in awe and I I really I really want to know you more no thank you so much it's really been um you know it's been a pleasure being here talking with you all being a guest on this wonderful production and you know that I mentioned that praise kink. So y'all are wonderful. <laughs> y'all make me feel good. <laughs> good. Well, y- you are wonderful, and you are good, and we are so thrilled to to know you. And thank you, thank you from the Yoniverse. Thank mm-hmm. you for being in the Yoniverse. We are are just so thrilled that you've been with us this week. And remember Absolutely. what Lee said: take a nap play for the sake of fucking playing like I that spoke to me so deeply and yeah that's that's how we get out there and uh dismantle capitalism with that Mm. (laughs) for the sake of with that hell yeah Um, I know no more napping for productivity napping mm -hmm. napping for napping yeah so you know Audre Lorde um one of my favorite thinkers queer black feminist poet said um you know a lot of people feel like self-care is self-indulgence you know and what what Audre Lorde said in response to that is that no self-care is self-preservation and self-preservation is Mm. political warfare Mm. Mm. chills (laughs) I cannot think of a better note to end this on (laughs) seriously thank you so much Lee thank you thank you thanks for spending some time in the Yoniverse with us We adore our listeners, and we'd love to connect more deeply with you. Find us on our website, theflamingyoni.com, and our socials are in the show notes. Before you leave the universe, be sure to give us a five-star rating, and don't forget the review. Your feedback means the world to us. We can't wait to light your world on fire next week, and in the meantime, stay sacred. And stay salacious. Salacious.